This is a Woodside Church podcast. Good morning. Good to see you all. You all right? Fantastic. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you for your, oh, your love for us. We thank you that that ultimate representation and example of your love was the giving of your son. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought us a relationship with our Father in heaven. We thank you that as we place our trust in you, uh, sin is defeated, death is defeated for us, and we're in relationship with your Father in heaven. We are now children of God, uh, and we thank you that nothing can take that away from us, neither death nor the enemy, nor anything can take your love away from us. And we celebrate it and we give you all the glory. Amen. 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 Well, my name's Martin. If I haven't had a chance to say hi to you, I'll extend my welcome to you. It's great to be here this Sunday morning. We are continuing our series, which we've called Love. In fact, this is the final part of the series, and we trust this will be helpful. Although we are going to go back to it next year because we realized as we got into this subject there were some really important subjects that we wanted to address and discuss together and learn together on but actually there's some other ones as well we'd like to give some time to so this is season one yeah season two is next year sometime so uh, looking forward to that one of the things that we've majored on because I think it's really important to get all of these topics in perspective is if we've said and communicated, I trust, that the Bible's very clear that God is love. John, one of the disciples, in fact, the one who was probably Jesus' closest friend, when he wrote one of his letters, he, was, he just kept going on about God is love. And we see God's love expressed through his grace, but also his truth. Jesus was described, again by John, as being someone who was full of grace and full of truth. We hold those things together. And sometimes, if we're honest, sometimes we lean a bit towards truth. We feel comfortable there. Sometimes we lean maybe towards grace. But both of those things are pretty held in tension, I believe. And Jesus modelled it just as he would, (laughs) perfectly. Uh, Someone said to me this week, which I found really encouraging, They said to me, I know my heart wants to be more grace, more liberal, they said, in my theology. And then they said this, this is why I'm in this church, because it helps me to be both full of grace and truth. I thought, that's that's, that's good. That's a recognition that this is is not straightforward at times, but actually I I want to hold those things together. And uh, I realize we're on a journey here, and come with us on the journey. Come with us on this journey. Now, what I've called this, this I was going to say this evening, it, 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 it felt like already. It's been a long morning for me, actually, already. But I've called the talk this morning this, I've called it this, which story are you living in? Which story are you living in? See, the story you and I think that we are living in massively affects the way you and I view the world and therefore the way you and I live in the world. 
We need to understand that actually there's what some would describe a narrative, a cultural narrative, a way that our culture thinks and acts. There's a story that is all around us, but also there's another story, which is the story of God. And we need to understand one, but also ensure that we are leaning and following and being fully in the other, in God's story. But it's really helpful and really important that we recognise the story going on behind the story. There was once a newspaper headline in London, I believe, and the headline says something like this, a woman who dropped her baby out of third floor window. You think, my goodness, that's, that's... that's terrible. That's, I mean, my goodness, how did she do that? But then when you read the story, it says that actually she was in a block of flats. The flats were sadly on fire. And even though that she knew that she couldn't be rescued, she dropped her baby out of the window to be caught by a fireman. And the baby survived. You see, the headline says one thing. Isn't this often in the case with our newspapers? The headline says one thing. But actually, that's one story, but there's another story that we need to unpack and understand. There is a cultural story that we're part of. There's a narrative, if you like. And then our narrative tells the story of a people, of of all of us in this nation and probably the Western world. And what happens when there's a narrative, there's a cultural narrative, is that individuals then often allow that story to influence their own stories and their own choices. The Bible puts it this way. Romans 12 says this, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, to the cultural narrative, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That's what we want, don't we? We want to know God's will, his perfect, his pleasing will. And the way we're to do that is to recognise there's a cultural narrative, but not to be conformed by it, but to have our minds renewed to know God's will. Proverbs 4 puts it this way. Guard your heart above all else. Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of of your life. See, the writer of Proverbs is saying what you're thinking, what you're thinking in your hearts, what you're dreaming about in your hearts, the story that you are believing in your heart, that will govern your lives and how you live your life, what you pursue, what you want to do in your life. So he says, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Don't allow the narrative to shape you, the cultural narrative, guard your heart. You see, knowing the big picture changes everything. With the example of the the mum who threw a baby out of a window, the, the big picture changes everything. And we need to realize that there is a big picture. There's a God story which has a beginning, a middle, and an end. And that's the story, that's the narrative that we need to be fully running with, I believe. 
We also need to recognize that there's a counter-narrative. If you like the devil's narrative, there's another story that is trying to shape us and push us in a particular direction. Let's look at an extreme example just to try and understand this. Let me talk about the Second World War for a minute. Talk about Nazi Germany. I remember when I was at school, we studied the Second World War. And I remember thinking, how on earth did that happen? How on earth did a nation make the decisions that Germany decided to make? How did a nation conspire to murdering 11 million Jews, gypsies, homosexuals, JWs, and so on in a 10-year period? Do you not think that? How on earth did that happen? Was it that they were just evil? But you hear stories, don't you, of soldiers who met each other on the battlefield. And in that meeting, whether it was someone who was fighting for the Nazis or someone fighting for the Allies, you hear stories of them realising that actually we're no different to one another. What's gone on here? So was it that they were evil? No, that's not really the root of it. But they did believe an evil story. They believed the narrative. In fact, Adolf Hitler, in, in his speeches, he's quite up front, was quite up front about how he changed the German story, which changed the way Germans thought and acted. He used to say this, he said this, my greatest gift to the Germans is that I've taught them how to think clearly. Even in one of his speeches on the 11th of July, 1941, he said these words, when national socialism, I can't say the words, that's three times I've tried to say that word. <laughs> you just don't know how much I was building myself up for saying that word. It really was, and I still didn't get it right. Let's try again. When national socialism, thank you, has, has roared long enough, it will no longer be possible to conceive of a form of life different from ours. We don't live in Nazi Germany, do we? But we live in a culture where it is very difficult to conceive of a way of thinking other than our cultures. So we, look and look and look, we can look at Nazi Germany and we can see how their story made them think. And even to the point where decisions they made were seen to be a virtue. To kill those who were weaker to have a superior race coming through was seen as a positive thing. But we must step back, mustn't we, and see what's going on in other cultures too. Just to pursue this a little bit more before we bring it right home. <laughs> what about, it's helpful sometimes to look in other people's cultures because we can often see things clearer, maybe, than in our own settings. So think about the States. I've got, America, I've got family who live in the States. That doesn't give me permission to say anything, but I feel I've got some insight. Uh, have you heard of the American dream? Yeah? So the American dream is all about how wherever you are, wherever you start your life, you, there's nothing holding you back. You know, you can be successful, you can, you can be profitable, you can, you can do anything you want. There's, a, there's an American dream narrative for people who live in the States. And you see that narrative outworking itself in all sorts of places, surprisingly. One of those places is in the church in the States. Not in the whole church, but in some areas of the church. 
is something that we would refer to as referred to as the prosperity gospel. Some of you would have heard of that. Prosperity gospel is essentially saying that God wants you to be happy and successful. Doesn't and it's a, if I'm honest, it's not the true gospel. It's not the whole picture. Now they love Jesus. I'm not, you know, I'm not I'm not saying saying that they're not followers of Jesus at all, of course not. But actually, you see the American dream narrative outworking in their story. What about I'm going with some interesting cultural things. What about the gun laws in the States? For most people in this country, we don't get it, do we? You see the mass killings, and then the gun lobby just say, we need guns. The problem is bad people, not the guns. Yeah, you with me here? You watch, you watch the news, yeah, yeah? That's good, you know, Bible in one hand, news in the other, remember, yeah? Okay, you think, well, how do they arrive there? You need to understand a little bit about their story. And it goes right down to, to their constitution, right to bear arms, which is, which go, is all connected to, to, to the Deep South and the Civil War and when there's stories of, of brave families defending their homes against the oppressive government. It's a deep thing. And so when they, they feel that being pushed, it's their narrative which is shaping the way they think. But it's easy to think maybe about other settings. What about our own setting? Now, I would say at this stage that we're all in the Western world. Clearly, we live in the UK. But I realise that for some of us, we may have been born in another nation or our families may come from a nation. And all of those other nations, those other cultures, also have a cultural narrative. And so what you may find, in fact, talking to some of you, I think this may have been the case, or is the case, I'm sure, is actually we all have a cultural narrative that we're trying to navigate and look at the God story and how that applies to our cultural narrative. So some, I guess, maybe have a blend of different narratives. Even in the Western world, certainly in the UK, we could say these things. See, there's a reason why, I think, in the UK, every year 600,000 babies are born and 200,000 babies are terminated before birth. And we almost don't think about it these days. It's such a part of our narrative. You see, our story and our national story, our cultural story in the UK, choice is the big thing. So a woman's right to choose is a huge part of our story to the extent we are where we are on abortion. Why is that? See, if you broaden it slightly with the question on life, if we were to hear in the news a single-cell amoeba was discovered on Mars, bear with me, you with me, still with me? If we were to hear that a single-cell amoeba was discovered on Mars, what would be the headline? Life on Mars. Because our narrative says that. But if a 24-week-old baby is terminated in the mother's womb, that's not life at all. It's a narrative. The thing is, what happens? It happens to me. I can assure you, if this helps you, praise God. But this is really helping me, okay? So, so let me just say, because what happens is we just flow along with a tide 
And our, our culture is shouting a very, very loud story. And what I'm appealing to myself and to us is that we ask the questions. What's the story? What's the narrative? And then we look at what the Bible says and then we say, okay, I get it now. And then we make the choice how we bring those things together. That's what we're supposed to be doing. It's interesting, you know, we mentioned about, if you were here last week, Bruce Jenner, who transitioned to Caitlyn Jenner. Uh, well, Jenner was applauded for her courage in having gender reassignment and becoming a woman. In fact, made the front cover of June 2015 Vanity Fair. But interestingly, in the same month, Rachel Dolezal was fired from her job at a black civil rights charity for claiming to be black, even though she's actually Scandinavian. So in the same month, you get two news stories. One, applauded for saying, I'm a woman. Another, lampooned a white woman for claiming to be a black woman. Why is that? It's because race, in our narrative, race is unchangeable. Gender is completely fluid. That's the narrative. It's interesting, isn't it? I love watching movies. One of my favourite movies is this movie. It's called Babe. It's a good one, isn't it? Let's be honest. No? Okay, okay. So, Babe, one of my favourite movies. So, what's, what's Babe about? This is when you see the cultural narrative flowing into culture, popular culture. Babe is about a pig who thinks he's a dog. David, haven't you seen this movie? Yet? <laughs> you are missing out, my friend. <laughs> but that's the plot, isn't it? I love it. I mean, when he's doing the whole herding the sheep thing by talking sheep language, I mean, it's wonderful. But there's others that have done similar more recently. What about uh, any fans of Frozen here? Let it go, let it go. Elsa, should let it go, um, embracing, is all about embracing and expressing what's inside. Interestingly, regardless of what it means for everyone else, because actually everyone else freezes. But the narrative is, no, 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 you've got to release what's inside. In fact, it shouldn't say verses. That was a mistake in when we put the, the uh, presentation together, although I thought it would be interesting to have a vote to see who preferred <laughs> Babe or Frozen, but we won't go there. So they're just two illustrations of how in popular culture we see this narrative coming in. But you see, the, the, the challenges that we have today and the questions that we're asking today after today, but down the road there'd be another challenge and another question. So it's really interesting that we grasp this now because there'd be something else. So the next thing many are saying is something called polyamory. That's coming next. I didn't know what it was as well until I had to look it up. Polyamory. It's the practice of or the desire for intimate sexual relations, relationships with more than one partner with the consent of all partners involved. So it might be three people who are in physical sexual relationship with one another and they're all happy about it and they all know about it. Polyamory. Now you might say, oh, it's a bit far-fetched. It's not. So a new Disney show called Siren, which is about a mermaid. There it is. It's about a mermaid that comes to, to land and then becomes a woman and then builds a polyamory relationship with a couple, with a man and a woman. And they're all, and it's a, they're a physical thing. And that's, the, that's a big part 
of the story. I think it was a show called Wonderlust, actually, uh, on our TVs recently. I think that was, in, that was part of that story as well. Now, most of us probably are thinking, wow, that's, that's out there. But it's only out there in our minds because the narrative isn't saying that strong enough yet. But it will. The cultural narrative will. Which is why it's so important that we understand the cultural narrative and understand God's story. Otherwise, we will never be able to navigate life around us. But be reassured, none of this is new. Which is why Paul wrote, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. So don't be worried. This is, this is, this is the story. This is the whole point. You know, there's good news that a world needs to hear. But we just make, must make sure in the midst of it, we are thinking things through with clarity. Because we've got to bring God's story into the questions that people are asking. Because people are asking good questions, but we've got to make sure that it's his story that we bring into their lives. This is a true story. On the 22nd of November, 1963, a playwright called David Lodge goes to see the premiere of his play. And while he's watching his play, there is a moment when one of the characters has to turn on the radio to a music station to be used as background noise. But something very big has happened on the 22nd of November, 1963. As he turns his music, the music station on, there is a news break. And the news reporter cuts in to say, today, in Dallas, Texas, President John F. Kennedy has been assassinated. Immediately, the actor realizes his mistake, or the mistake, quickly turns off the radio, but it's too late. The play is over. Everyone in the theatre realises that this is just a play, and there's something bigger happening in the wide world out there. And so while David Lodge is sitting there, just imagine what it was like for this guy, his premiere of his play. Dave Lodge is sitting in the theatre, and he watches everyone leave the theatre and go into the real world to discover the real story going on. That's what we've got to do. We've got to recognise what's just a play and what's the real world that's going on around us and tell ourselves the new story, which actually is the old, old story. Tell the new story into our lives, but also into the lives of those around us. Because people around us are asking really very, very good questions. Clear, fundamental questions, but so often coming to a wrong conclusion because of the narrative they're living in. Let me give you a few to help us unpack this. So how do we tell this new story, or the old, old story, into people's lives and into our own lives too? The first is this. We need to know that you are fearfully, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We need to get that. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Why is that important? It's because the cultural perspective sees a sharp separation between physical, what is our bodies, and how we feel about ourselves inside. That's one of the strong cultural narratives, that body and who we are 
are separate. You see it in all sorts of places. You see it in Babe the pig, yeah? Body and who the pig was inside were different. But you see it in transgender. You see it in same-sex activity. You see it in abortion because it's a separation in people's minds because it's not yet a real person. It's only made up of cells and tissues. So it's a separation in people's thinking. You see it in something called the hookup culture, which I would call sleeping around, but I'm too old to use the right phrase, phrases. But the hookup culture basically means hooking up with someone to have sex for physical fulfillment, but without, emotion, without any emotional attachment, which we probably all know that is nonsense. But it's this separation from body and who the person is. We've got to take the world back to you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Body, personality, who we feel inside, it's the whole thing. This is what Psalm 139, how the writer of this psalm puts it. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Body, emotions, personality, the whole thing is how God has made us. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. We've got to tell that story. They're trying to say, who am I? I say, well, you, you, that's, that's, that's who God made you to be. Body and who you feel inside. Secondly, we need to recognize that true life-giving identity is found in God and is given by God. See, one of the cultural questions is, who am I? There's a search for identity. Where do I fit? How do I reconcile all sorts of things in my life? Who am I? You see, identity in the West used to be rooted in external things. Used to be rooted in, in position or status or the job you did. External things. In fact, many other nations, not Western nations, many other nations would still be the same. So Dawn and I have it's been heard of going to Nigeria tomorrow. I'm pretty sure they think in terms of identity more about external things. Whereas in the West has moved from that perspective looking Internally, identity is found within, as we learn from Frozen and the movie Babe. But the Christian identity is totally different. Christian identity is this. The basis of identity is Christ's performance, not ours. So it's not about status, not about job, it's not about what you've done. It's nothing to do with that. It's about who Jesus is and the ultimate validator is God, not us. That's the basis of identity for the Christian. What else could we say about Christian identity? We could say that with Christian identity based on Christ's performance, not our own, it is the only identity in the world which is received and not achieved. Think about that. It's not external. It's not internal. It's a gift that God gives to us. He gives us an identity when we come into relationship with Jesus. We sing about this all the, all the time. There's a great line in those, that song, isn't there? I am who you say I am. Yeah? It goes like this. 
I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. Who the Son sets free. Always free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Do you get it? It's something he does for you. Oh, my goodness. This goes against everything the world can offer. This is massive. Do you believe it? You've done it very excited. I mean, it's amazing, isn't it? Don't have to worry about performance. Don't have to worry about position. Don't worry, worry about who I am inside. It's who God makes you. It's who he declares you are. Hallelujah. Next one. Two more. We need to discover the real story going on. We need to have our David Lodge in the theatre moment. We need to make sure that we get it all in perspective. Let me just say, there's really many, many good things going on in our culture. The danger with these moments is we think, well, that's all bad and this is all good. No, 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 no. It's phenomenal things. But even we need to recognise them and affirm them and be a part of changing those things. So just think, for example, the, the shift in understanding the removal of stigma about mental health. Hallelujah. Thank you to the royal family for, for, for those two sons you know, pioneering with many others. So, so good. So there's many good things as well. It's part of our cultural narrative. That's a good part. But there's other things that we need to bring in. So there's a story of God that we need to bring into people's lives. Do you know the question that most people are asking? Or wanting peace. Peace. People want peace with themselves. Because they sense, they feel a sense of dysphoria, that mis- disconnection, that confusion between you know, sex and gender. There's a dysphoria. They want peace in their hearts. They want peace with their past. They want peace with one another, peace with family and friends. They want peace with their maker. It's peace is what they need. But when you look at the story of God, it goes something like this. There was four, four parts to it. Creation. And in the creation story, in Genesis 1 and 2, we something which can be de- best described with the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom, peace. It's, it's a peace that is, is beautiful. It's, the, it's, it's everything you've ever wanted life to be. It's perfect. There's perfect relationship with God, perfect relation with one another. Shalom. But then we go into the next part of the story. Creation first, then we have what we would describe as the fall. When humanity rebelled from God, said, no, no, actually, I think I know better. I, I went in a different direction to what God had for mankind. And although we can look back at the beginning of time, we can also identify with that because we've done the same ourselves. I certainly have in my life. I said, I think I know best. And we rebel from God and we run our own way. And then when we make those decisions, what happens is the results of that begin to take place, physical death and spiritual death. And so you see creation, then you see the fall. But praise God, we see regeneration. Sorry, redemption. Can't get me ours right. Redemption or new creation. When thankfully a loving father gives his son, he knows he needs to deal with sin and he's angry against sin, but he turns evil and suffering on its head and in the giving of his son, brings ultimate glory to Jesus through his death, his resurrection, his ascension. And as we place our trust in him, we become part of this new creation. And so what was once started decades, centuries ago, 
we begin to experience today, that sense of peace with our history, peace with ourselves, peace with one another, and of course, peace with God. We know adoption, forgiveness. We're part of God's family. I am who you say I am. But it's not the end of the story. There's still act four to come. Redemption. God has promised to renew the whole world. And the Bible gives us a peek into that glorious future when Jesus will return and make all things new. So we've got to recognize that there's a bigger story and that's the God story. And we've got to help people to understand that for themselves as well. And finally, let me say one more thing. I just really want to encourage us all to make a stand in our own generation. Although I realize it's not easy. When I was thinking about this this week, I was reminded of some of our forefathers and mothers who are still alive today, many in this church, who actually some decades ago made a stand in, church, in churches in this country. And that stand was about gifts of the Spirit and life in the Spirit and baptism in the Holy Spirit. Things that probably most of us who have been in churches for a while now don't even give a second thought to. But actually, people like David Devish and Ruth Matthews and Rich Clements and many others had to make a stand and say, no, no, hang on, what does the Bible say? See, I was in a church down the road at the time when this was all happening. And uh, my, the leader, the pastor there, Peter Ledger, had a nervous breakdown because he held the line. Many people left the church. You say, yeah, but the Bible says. Some of you look at me in disbelief. That's what the Bible says. I know other churches who overnight, half of the people left. But now we have a day when the Archbishop of Canterbury, God bless him, when asked the question, do you speak in tongues? He says, of course I do. Hallelujah. Those things just don't happen. But today, we need to go. as hard as it is. I know there's a strong cultural narrative. Some of it's very good and we celebrate it. But some of it we have to say, hang on a minute. Because you know there'll be something else in a decade time. And you'll be surprised. You'll think, really? Polyamory? Really? And they say, yeah, yeah, it's fine. Although clearly we will be doing damage to many. So, this is my finish for this series. Which story are you living in? Because you can be a follower of Jesus, actually, and living in a different story. Let's be those, to the best of our ability, to be running with God's story. And helping others who are asking good questions about identity and, and body and, 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 and who, who I am inside. And so, actually, I've got, we've got a story. We've got an answer to that. And it's a wonderful story. It's how God always meant it to be. Hallelujah. Uh, let's stand, let's pray together, shall we? Let's pray. Our oh, Father, we thank you so much for your story. We thank you so much that although mankind rebelled and ran away from you, you had a master plan which was that you, in your, that Jesus would come, yourself, God would come to earth, Emmanuel, that, that you would come to this earth 
and that you would live a perfect life and that you would die a sinner's death. But death could not hold you because you were perfect and you are perfect. And so you broke free from the grave and death is defeated and life has come. And Lord, we thank you that when we place our trust in you, what has happened to you happens to us. We can be those that can say sin has been defeated, death has been defeated, the enemy has been defeated. We are now new creations. New life has come. And we get a a taste and we live in the good of the peace, the shalom that was always part of the plan. That we are part of a people that are your family, your children, and we are who you say we are. And God, I pray that you would help us to navigate this. Lord, we'll be honest, sometimes this is difficult. This is hard because the cultural narrative is loud. That radio is turned up loud. So we pray, God, would you help us, please, to navigate with real humility, but with eyes wide open. And Lord, most of all, we pray, would you have your way? And would we know your will in our lives, your perfect and pleasing will? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.